And as we have just finished um, the book of Galatians over the course of many months, verse by verse, has it become one of your favorite books? I hope so. The front row loves the book of Galatians, and I am so glad that the people who love the book of Galatians are on the front row. That's a good thing. No, the book of Galatians is an incredible. Did you know that was the first book that Paul wrote? So we have just studied his first words, the foundation stones of every other book that he would write. That from that, he would build upon truth upon truth. But one of the things that we, was a takeaway for us is how strong Paul stood on behalf of the Galatians. He did not want them to fall to deception. I think about the Bobs. That's exactly what the Bobs are doing. They're standing and they're fighting for the hearts of the people, the people that we saw on that screen. For us, they don't have names. But for the Bobs, they have names. They know where they live. They know their lives. And just like Paul with the Galatians who fought for their lives and for their heart that they would believe. But that's not a new thing, is it? From the garden, deception has been the ploy, right, of the enemy. From the very beginning, and that will continue to be. So how important is it for us to know what is true? Because that will be the ploy is deception from the enemy itself. And where sin happens, guess what else follows? battles. Sin always causes battles in our lives and in the world around us. Because why? Sin always stands against the God of peace. We serve a God of peace. But Satan is his ploy of that deception and that sin is always going to create battles. So we should not be surprised And we should not be so disturbed within us, but instead we should expect this world to be consumed with battles. Because do we see Jesus sitting on the throne of this world? No. They have someone else on the throne of their hearts. And because of that, there's going to be battles. So inside of the wars and inside of the battles, we have nation against nation. We have cultural wars, do we not? We have political wars. We have wars at work. You probably can think of specific wars that are happening inside of your workplace. And sadly, we have wars inside of churches. It's very sad where Jesus should be reigning strong and mighty. Instead, flesh is wanting to rule. Wars happen. But not just in churches, but also I'm looking at a group of people. I know some. I don't know many. Wars inside of your homes. It might be your marriages. It might be your parenting. It might be your distant relatives. But wars that happen. Why? The root of all wars is sin because sin is against the God of peace. But all of those wars that exist, that's not the wars that we're going to talk about today. And the reason we're not going to talk about those wars is because that is not the greatest of wars. There is a greater war happening right now. And the greatest war that you will ever encounter, the greatest battle that you will ever encounter, is not outside of you, but it is inside of you. I like to call this battle the civil war within. Did you know that you had a civil war happening inside of you? It is a war where flesh is battling the spirit in my life. 
And I refer to this as the Civil War, and I want to remind you of a couple things about this battle that are unique. This battle begins the moment you place your life in Jesus' hands. And you go, Carrie, I thought it was for freedom. (laughs) It was, and it is. And there is freedom inside of that. But all of a sudden, someone moved off the throne of your heart, and it's called your old man, your old nature, sin. And now Jesus does there. So the moment Jesus steps into your life, the battle begins. This battle can be ignored. You can ignore it, pretend like it doesn't exist, but it cannot be denied. This battle becomes more intense with spiritual maturity, not less. All right? And the last one is this battle continues for as long as you have breath. Are you encouraged this morning? Are you glad you came this morning? This morning it was like, Man, Carrie, thank you. A battle that's never going to end. The encouragement's coming, but you got to wait for it. All right? And what I'm saying to you is exactly what Paul said to the Galatians. Be reminded of Galatians 5, 16, and 17. It's on the screen for you. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are what? Opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul didn't just stop there. He wrote a book called the book of Romans. And later in that book, in chapter 7, he does an important chapter that I am so thankful for. Because you could remove his name and put my name, and this would be my testimony as well. Romans chapter 7, verse 15, 18, and then verse 22. For I do not, this is Paul, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you say amen? For I know that nothing good dwells in me. This is Paul. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, here's his, his conclusion. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. How many is that a familiar testimony to you? That's my testimony, and I know it's your testimony. In fact, it is so Part of my testimony and the fabric is it drove me to a a point in my life that I had a really important question that built and built inside of my life. And it might be a question that you've asked of yourself as well. And it was this question. There's got to be something more to this. What is it? There's got to be something more to this. What is it? And I I don't know if I'm ashamed or just bold enough to tell you, but I did not ask that as an elementary student or a high school student or a college student. You know when I asked that? As a 30-year-old pastor. Doesn't that encourage you? That your pastor is asking such a question, but I'm telling you what, I'm so glad that the Lord did not let me leave that question. Because he is answering that question for me. Because what he's revealing to me more and more and more is who he is 
and who I am in him. Who he is to me and who I am, who I am in him. And as we keep digging into this specificness about the civil war within, it's so critical that we take some moments this morning of understanding the battle that's happening. I really believe so many times we are in this battle and we are losing that battle daily and we have no idea why. It's not that we don't doubt that Jesus saved us. It just feels like every single day I fail him over and over and over again. So let's just take some moments this morning and let's examine this battle because it's so important. And we need to start with who is fighting? Who is fighting who? So the very first part is flesh. What is flesh? I define it like this, the ruling sin nature that we have, whose affections and desires are toward everything that what is not of God. Anything outside of God is sin. Just like everything outside of faith will never please him, so too everything that is not God is rooted in sin. A simple way of understanding that is this. My flesh always says, not Christ, but me. Not Christ, but Carrie. And its pursuits and its desires becomes that targeted in my life. You see, when we came into this world, we were turned away from God. Pride, selfishness, self-preservation, those were all natural to us. We didn't have to learn them. We did not learn them. We walked in them. We were born ruled by sin. It was natural. It was who we were. This old sinful nature that I'm talking about, that's what I'm calling flesh. And I'll just make a note here. If you don't know Christ, if there's not been that moment that Christ has become your Lord and your Savior, and you've, you've said yes to him, that's where you are. That's what you were born with, and that's what you are. But Jesus doesn't leave us there. He has a greater invitation. And that's where I want us to look at this other combatant, and it's the word spirit. And you'll see on the, the board that it even has a small s and a little, a big S inside of some of the verses that we will be reading and talking about. That is because God is spirit, right? He is spirit. The Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. He is spirit. And therefore, we are created. Because who is our creator? God is our creator. And he created us in his image. Therefore, we were created with spirit, little s spirit. We were created in such a way that we can receive and be motivated by the very Spirit of God. And when sin came in through Adam and Eve, it it made that spirit part of their life go dormant. It died. It went asleep, not to be awakened again. And when we came in this world, that's how we came in this world, with a little S spirit that was dead, that was not awake. And when Jesus comes in, that is why we need Jesus. 
Because when we say yes to Jesus, that which was dead in us, little s spirit, wakes up. It comes to life. And when we say Jesus lives in your heart, we learn that as a little child, many of us, and we go, well, where is that? Well, he resides in the part that is like him, that can house him, that, is, that can understand him, that can learn of him, that will follow him, not in that sin nature, but in this new creation that has gone from death to life where he lives. And he finds his home in us when we place our faith in us. And he literally, he is literally changing us from the inside out. So now with Christ alive in me and in you, his righteousness is formed in us. And then I love this. The spirit within me says, not I, but Christ. Would you say that with me? Because I love hearing you say that. Not I, but Christ. That is what the spirit says in us. The flesh says, not Christ, but me. But the Spirit says, not I, but Christ. So can you understand now a little glimpse and gain that of why there is this 24-7 internal civil war going on? Because you've got this flesh, this old nature, this old man, this who I used to be part of Carrie that got dethroned got pushed off the throne and is raging mad of jealousy, wanting back on that throne. And in contrast that, you have Jesus who said what? I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. He didn't come to sit on the throne of your heart only to get off. He came to reside. He came to set his kingdom up into your life. He came to take you as a little baby who didn't know anything of what godliness and holiness and truth and peace and love is to teach us. He did not come in to leave. And he also did not come in to set us up for failure. He came in to set us up for something much greater than that. So for as long as we have breath, let's not be surprised by the civil war within that will occur. And so if this civil war is happening, where is it happening? We talked about the spirit, but where, where is it happening? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 7 verse 23, but I see in my members another law waging war against what? The law of my mind. And making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. There should be this surprise in here that the battleground is the mind. There should be none of us. It is that place that has its privacy of, of thoughts and, and places that we need to lay down before the Lord. Or we, we set up a banquet table and have them entertained inside of our heart and our mind. Paul is referring to the mind in a very Greek kind of a way. And the way that he's referring to mind is implying heart, reason, and conscience. So just so I can put that in some context for you, before Christ, we had a heart, reason, and conscience that was hostile toward God. It naturally was hostile and was an enemy of God. Romans 8, 7, and 8 says this, For the mind... That is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to the law of God. 
Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot what? Please God, but. That's probably my favorite word in all of the Bible. Because whenever God says, but, there's hope, right? So here's the hope. But the heart, reason, and conscience that we have in Christ is a whole different outcome. Romans 8, 6 says, For to set the mind on on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Do you hear the guarantees inside of this verse, verse 6? To set your mind on the flesh means what? Death. Does that surprise you? It shouldn't. Believers and unbelievers should understand that when we place me, myself, and I at the very throne of our heart, it always ends wrong. It ends so wrong that it ends in death. You know what dies within us and around us? What dies is love dies, morality dies, purity dies, serving others die, unity dies, righteousness dies. Do I need to keep going? Death. Death happens. But to set your mind on the spirit To set your mind with the mind of Christ that he has planted in you as a new creation. Guess what happens? You experience the fullness of life of Christ in you. Not just around you, but in you. You have a life alive with Christ, love, peace, patience. Does this sound familiar? Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. His life is the fruit bore in your life. For let me remind you, what are you? You're nothing but a branch. He is the vine. The fruit that is bore does not come from the branch. The fruit that is bore in our life comes from what? The vine. And Christ is the vine. This is the fruit of his life that he allows us to be a part of and to witness his life bearing forth in us. So, okay, hopefully we're tracking. I know this is a lot. It usually is when I'm up here. I'm sorry. All right. I hope that you're starting to grab some foundational things of spirit and flesh. I hope that you're starting to grab some ideas of where is this happening. It's not this random war that takes me by surprise. It should not take us by surprise. But instead, we should be prepared. But my question is, if this is your reality as a believer in Christ, what is it like for you in your civil war within? Let me ask it this way. When you go to bed at night, do you feel victorious or defeated? Do you go to bed and go, I made it through another day just by the skin of my teeth I made it through? Or does it become, I don't know if I can do another day like that. I just can't. I can't. You're right. You can't. Or do you go to bed going, Victory. Victory. All right. So as I'm even saying that, one of my favorite things about this new room that the Lord has so given us is that 
we can hear each other sing. Do you hear each other sing when you're singing? If you don't hear each other sing when you're singing, that means you're not singing, so you need to sing. Because if you were to sing, you could hear it. So I want you to sing with me something that will remind us of what the truth of this is. So here comes the the lyrics of something very familiar to us, and let's sing it together. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. Sing it strong. He I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Church, it's true. It's true. Okay, stop. If you're going to clap, clap. Go. Listen, it's true. And I love that last line. He plunged me to victory. Beneath, underneath, the covering of his precious, righteous blood plunged me to victory. We are called, we have been equipped. Jesus has made a way that this civil war that is not going away, not to be one that we hold our breath at the end of every day to hope we did enough, but instead that as we walk by the Spirit, that we walk in victory. So let's talk. You want to talk about victory some? We need to talk about victory some because that's what I want you walking out of this place with a confidence that there is victory in Jesus and Jesus alone. And Romans 6 with Paul writing does such a great job of giving us three specific words that I want you to just attach to your heart because in fact for daily victory to happen, these are the three words that don't need to be words that you just visit. It doesn't need to be words that you just kind of understand a little bit, but it needs to be 24-7 kinds of words. And the reason is, is because they are 24-7 kinds of verbs in this passage. It's present tense. In other words, it's not checkboxes. It's that it's always occurring inside of our heart. The first word, I'm going to give you all three words, then we're going to unpack them. The first word is believe. And I would love, if you're taking notes, that you even put believe 24-7 beside it. Consider 24-7 and present 24-7. Let's take that first word of believe. Believe what? Believe that Christ and Christ alone is our victory. If we try to achieve victory in any other kind of means or manner, it will create failure. But Christ and Christ alone is our victory. Let's just go through some principles, and I'm taking these just a shortcut way of being able to unpack Romans 6, 1 through 10 for you. The first one, Christ died to sin. The biggest praise inside of this space is that death no longer has dominion over him. 
He faced death. He became death. And in becoming death became the victory because he not only became it, he overcame death. Christ died to sin once for all. I'm afraid that our lives and our prayers and even our unbelief as a believer, if we were to listen to really what we're praying, if we were to really listen to how we are um, approaching sin in our lives, it's as if we're putting Christ back on the cross over and over and over and over again. Church, he died once. There's not a need for another death. Once. Now, if you were to ask me, Carrie, I don't understand. I don't understand how his one death covered all sin. Because if I think about it in my life, it's the sins that I have committed. It's the sins I am committing. And it will be the sins that I don't even know are coming inside of my life forgiven. I can't explain that. So don't come up to me at the end of the service down front and ask me that question. I do not have the answer. I just know it's true. I just know it's true. Why do I know it's true? Because I walk in freedom. No longer is shame and guilt in my life. Even when I mess up, as I come before in repentance, I don't nail him to the cross again. What I do is say, Lord, I know your death was enough. And I thank you for it. And I know your death was enough, and I want your life to be enough in me. So live your life in me. So Christ died to sin, but Christ died for you. He died for your forgiveness of all your sins. He died for your freedom from sin. But freedom is not just something that's freed from. It's also free to. You are freed from sin. And this might be one of the hardest things for you to grab today. You are freed to righteousness. You don't have to work toward righteousness. You are freed to righteousness. That righteousness becomes the fruit of your life because of your love and the life of Christ in you. He also died for your acceptance. Your acceptance that you would be accepted by God eternally as his sons and his daughters. Not just in the forever place, but in the today place as well. And thirdly, Christ lives to God. Christ will never die again. That cross was a one-time moment. That tomb was a one-time moment that allowed for his resurrection to be a forever moment. Christ was raised from the dead. How? By the glory of God himself and the life that he lives, he lives to God. So his life, put it together, his life that lives to God who lives in us. That allows our life to live to God, right? It is Christ alive in me, living his life, and his word tells us that his life is living to God. So it's forming godliness in me. It's not creating it out of my works. It is Christ in me, being simply who he is. The second thing is to consider, I love this phrase. I love this belief statement. 
I hope this is as big an aha for you as it was for me. This is what we need to consider. We need to consider that we're coming from victory. We're not trying to get to victory. Do you understand what I'm saying? You are, your life in Christ is coming from victory. I say it this way in our, um, our um, Sunday school experience, the word class. You're already in the room. Quit trying, and I'm speaking to myself, Carrie, stop trying to get into a room you are already in. Christ has already placed you there. What we need is not trying to get into the room that we're already in. What we need to do is open up our eyes, and we need to believe, and we need to consider that Christ is who he has promised to be. And inside of that becomes a beautiful thing of something that I have been waiting all week to tell you. And it is this, and I mean that, all week, that he didn't just die for you, but you died to sin with him. Amen. Let me say it again. You didn't ju- he didn't just die for you. You died to sin with him. It changes everything, doesn't it? All of a sudden, it's not just that it was an old, old story. And it's not that it was a cross on a hill far, far, far away. All of a sudden, I'm realizing I was with him. I was with him. Romans 6, 6 says this. We know that our old self, put your name there, was crucified with him. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we, put your name there, would no longer be enslaved to sin. It is not that we are dying to sin. It is not that we shall die to sin. It is that we have died to sin. That would be a good amen moment. All right? It is completed, it is done, it is finished. And the power of this truth is one with one little word, one little Greek word. And that one little Greek word is this, with. See, in the Greek, there could be two options here. It could be S-U-N's. I'm, I'm, my mobile accent is going to call it soon. I'm s- sure that it is pronounced in a completely different way. But if you will go with me with, to Mobile, Alabama, we say soon in Mobile, Alabama. All right? So soon or meta, that word with. Soon means intimate, close union. Meta means close association. Let me illustrate it this way. My wife and I, when we got married, we went out to seminary to Texas. And when we were in Texas... Um, We were on staff at First Baptist Uless um, our whole time that we were out there, and we got to just have some incredible relationships and friends out there. And while we were just newbies there, just getting to know people, we had some friends that said, hey, come over to our house. We want to serve you brisket. We want you to be welcome to Texas. And we said, we would love to. All right, Mobile, Alabama. Mobile, Alabama has never had brisket. Mobile, Alabama thought he is driving to their house thinking he is going to have fish. Brisket to me sounded like fish. So when I walk in and I see barbecue, I went, okay, I got to change my taste buds. I'm not disappointed at all. I'm very encouraged, but 
I thought it was fish. So I learned something. But you know what? I was also able to teach something. Because they knew that we were from the deep south. They wanted to serve us sweet tea. And so when they did so, they put it in front of us. And I went, that's not sweet tea. Sweet tea is not when you have unsweetened tea with little white things floating around in the bottom. That is not sweet tea. So we proceeded that night to show them how to make sweet tea. Soon, a meta. Texas tea is meta. Those white crystals that float in the bottom that you can stir all you want to stir. But if there is ice in that unsweetened tea and you have white crystals at the bottom, they are not going to dissolve. Meta, the white crystals were associated with the unsweet tea. Now, my grandmama's tea in Mobile, Alabama, there is not meta to be found. It is only soon tea. It is you get that tea bags on that stove until it is boiling. And when it is boiling, it's telling you it's time. And then you get, I don't know how many cups of sugar. And you put inside of that boiling tea, and that tea becomes, guess what? There's all kind of answers going on right now. Let me tell you the right one. The right one is that it becomes soon tea. It becomes one, united, experiencing the same thing, inseparable. You couldn't pull out those white things if you wanted to. They're gone. They become one. And the greatest news that I can tell you as a believer in Christ this morning, that in Jesus, you are my grandmama's sweet tea from Mobile, Alabama. That is who you are. And as a believer in Christ, the entirety of your life is soon with Christ. He has left nothing for you to accomplish on your own. Instead, he has united you with soon him in every part of his victory. Don't just trust me. Let me tell you what God's word says. I'm going to rattle through these. Listen from beginning to end. You are crucified with Christ, united with Christ, conformed with Christ, buried with Christ, raised up with Christ, made alive with Christ, conformed with Christ, suffer with Christ, co-heir with Christ, seated with Christ, glorified with Christ. Every one of those wids are soon. Every one. From crucified, that means you do not have to get on that cross. You are with him. That grave, buried, you don't have to go back to the grave. Quit going back to the grave. Let it remain empty because you are with him. Resurrection, you were with him. Glorified, you will be with him because you are. From beginning to end, there is nothing to consider except that you were with Christ Everything is banking on Christ and he is faithful and he is true. Believing leads leads to considering, which leads us to the best part. The best part. We will read these verses in a minute and we might have read these verses and go, oh, I don't know if I can. I hope I can. No, it's the best part. 
Because when we believe who Christ is, when we reckon it, when we consider the things that we have encountered with Christ, the response becomes natural. And the third one is to present as we, as we end this morning. We present. And what do we present? And we understand victory comes in presenting our lives to God for his glory. Where are you in that? You are like the worshiper of the king bowing down and laying your finest before him. It is no working. It is no striving. It is laying it down so he can receive glory and honor from your life and your life alone. Romans 6, 12 through 14, as we begin to end. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. Grace. We present nothing to sin. It's no longer our master. We understand it only brings death. Though there is pleasure for the moment in sin, we gladly exchange that momentary pleasure so we don't have to experience its shame and its guilt for the life and the peace that we have in Christ. We present ourselves to God. We present ourselves to God. This morning, you are presenting as a believer in Christ. You present yourself to God, not as a sinner. But you present your life to God as a righteous one. Because who lives in you? The righteous one. You don't present dead things to the Lord. What do you present to him? You present to him as one alive from the dead. That's how he sees you. And then you present. So this is my desire for us as a church. That we would give God our hands for the good deeds he has already prepared for us. That we would give God our feet to walk in the light of his word. That we would give God our lips to boast in the cross of Christ. That we would give God our eyes wide opened to meditate on his word night and day. And that we would give our ears to the Lord to hear his voice and to simply obey. The question that I was once holding so firmly in my heart without an answer but desiring one was the question of there has to be something more to this. What is it? He's teaching me. Can you tell? I hope you can tell. Because I'm never going to get over it. Because the more I know about him, the more freedom I'm understanding that he gave. The more I know about him, the more life, the more peace that I'm understanding. In the midst of this chaos of a world, his order in my heart sets me at peace. Going, Lord, how would you use me inside of the chaos? That I would not join the chaos, but I could be light among its darkness. Paul sums up the answer to my question so much better than I can. Let's say it together. I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Believers that are in this room, I hope you're encouraged. I hope that believing and considering and presenting becomes a 24-7 place in your heart. But before we leave this morning, there are some in here that are not believers, that haven't given that place of their heart to the Lord, that may be on the verge of that, maybe far away from that. I don't know where you are, but I want to tell you before you leave that you're not in a civil war of your heart. You're actually in a war that's much greater than that for your life, and that is you're in a world war. It's where your world is against God's world. It's where your kingdom is fighting against his kingdom. And I know for a fact you could talk to so many people in this room and they would say, pull up the surrender flag. He can be trusted. He will love you like you have never been loved before. He will forgive you and remove the shame and the guilt of your heart and the sin that has created battle after battle. He will be the victor in your life. He wants to sit. Jesus wants to sit on the throne of your heart. Would you say yes to him? And then you'll engage in the civil battle within that we've talked about today. But inside of it is nothing but victory. Nothing but victory. At the very end of the service, our pastors will be down front as well as our prayer partners. And we would love to talk to you about that if that is stirring in your heart. Believers, if you have just struggled, if you've struggled, we would love to be able to pray for you. So I just want to invite you to stand even right now. And as we pray together, we'll have one last song that just kind of lets our hearts settle in on what truth is and then at the end of that, we will be able to, to be able to speak and pray with one another if you'd like. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you, and we're so grateful for who you are. We're so thankful that victory is yours. Thank you for plunging us. Lord, when we were your enemy, Lord, when we said yes to you, you plunged us in victory beneath the cleansing flood. And Lord, I thank you for who you are inside of this place, and I pray your spirit would continue to work in such a mighty way that we would know it was you and that our walk would simply be in obedience out of love for who you are. So in the name of Jesus, we pray.